Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Oya, your host. There's a saying, those who confess best far surpass the rest. If you haven't gone to confession yet during this time of the great fast, this flowering of repentance, I highly urge you to do so. You got to get it in. But it's more than just getting it in. Confession, of course, is one of those things that we do, we must do, should do during Lent, at least during Lent, at least once a year. But it is something we ought to do much more often, not because we're so sinful, or, well, who knows? Only God can judge us, but that's, it's not my point to say that you're sinful, that we're so bad. Well, we are in regard to God. In relation to God, yes, we are nothing. We are lowly, as our prayers always tell us in the Psalms. And let's face it, God is so great and perfect and beyond even our best ways to describe and imagine his goodness. So, in contrast, yes, we are nothing. We are lowly. But that is not my point. My point basically is that confession is very, very helpful to us. The same way that taking vitamins or going to the doctor if we need to is helpful to us. And confession is certainly, certainly the sum total of all of our ascetical practices and all of our practices and attitude towards repentance that occur during the great fast, the season of repentance. There's nothing better than confession. All comes to, to that point, to that sacrament. But to understand that and to confess best and far surpass the rest, as the saying goes, we have to understand some things about sin and confession. Of course, we're going to do it according especially to the Eastern traditions here on Light of the East. I was very gratified to hear Pope Francis call the whole church, East and West, to a heightened awareness and observance, availability of confession, especially during this time of Lent. One of the reasons I was happy is because in our world today, we do not live lives that are reflective enough. We tend to want to blame everything and everybody outside of us. We complain a lot about how things are not as we would like them to be, how people aren't like we would like them to be, how things are not on our terms. 
And when something really bad happens to us or disturbing, we're very quick to blame, you know, to sue, to find fault, to point the finger. And as a result, our own behavior then goes unchecked. It goes undeveloped. We don't take stock of ourselves and say to ourselves, well, this person may be doing this or that, or they may be this way or that way. And maybe that's objectively true. But what we fail to do, what becomes very significant in all this, is our role in relation to that person or in relation to that situation. See, nothing is ever just by itself. We do not live compartmentalized lives, even though we try to in our culture, but that's not really true. That's not reality. Everything is in relation to everything else. So everything has a role to play in everything else. So if you take someone's behavior that you might see as objectively not good for whatever particular reason, the question is not whether they straighten up. The question is, what can we do in relation to that person? What are we doing that might be making things worse? What can we do or not to do that would help them? This is what I mean by being self-reflective. And one of the values of confession is that it helps us to be self-reflective. Just imagine if everybody was self-reflective. We wouldn't be blaming each other, and our behavior would improve. So the whole world would be happier. We'd all be happier. We'd all be much more deferential to each other. We'd all be much kinder to each other, much more compassionate to each other, much more supportive of each other, because we would say in every situation, well, this or that might be this way, or he or she might be this way, but I am this way. I am this or that way. I am not doing this, or I should be doing that. And so I will try to do that or try to stop doing that, whatever, whatever our reflection brings us to. But the important thing is, is that if everybody were turning things towards themselves in terms of solutions and healing, rather than always looking outside, expecting everyone else in the world to change around us. And the sacrament of confession, I find, is one of the most helpful things in becoming a more reflective person something I think is very necessary in our world today. When we look at confession, we have to also, first of all, understand sin and why there's a need for confession. In the Eastern churches, we talk about sin being voluntary and involuntary. Now, the last part might sound a little strange because I know we're usually taught, well, for something to be a sin, you have to know that it's wrong. You have to will it. How can it be involuntary and be a sin? Well, what this means is that we are all born, because of original sin, into a general fallen state or sinfulness of the world, of life itself. So we do things that end up hurting people, even though we absolutely never intend to. We have something like this in the secular world, in our day-to-day life. Think about things like involuntary manslaughter, You know, the very unfortunate experience of maybe somebody just taking their eyes off the wheel, off their driving for a moment and getting into an accident because of that one moment that might end up actually killing someone. They certainly did not mean that, but they did it anyway. It came from the overall general imperfection and fallenness that we are all born into and all share in. So yes, we need forgiveness from that too. I mean, if you do something accidentally to somebody, you hurt them, or in a case of a car accident, there's a death, certainly you're sorry. You apologize, right? You're still regretful, just as if you did it on purpose. You're still regretful. So we have what we call involuntary sin, 
but also voluntary sin. And we beg God's forgiveness for all that sin. Now, sin can be grave or serious. In the Latin rite, they may call it venial or mortal sin, which basically means some sins have greater gravity to them, greater seriousness to them. There's more of an act of will to engage in something that we know is bad. So those three things, we know it, we know it's very bad, but we do it anyway. Those are the three elements for so-called mortal sin, or you might say in the Eastern churches, a very serious or grave sin. Now, one of the things that helps in sin, in overcoming and healing sinfulness, is first of all, a personal sense of repentance, of course. But for the lesser sins, the Eucharist is actually part of the forgiveness of sins. Think about it. If we receive God into us, and sometimes even in our prayers, we talk about the presence of God in us as being like a consuming fire. It's like something like the sun. You know how the sun can burn things out? It can fade colors. It can, it can burn things, but in, sometimes in a good way, in a way we would want them to. It can heat things. Well, think of God's grace, God's presence as being something like the sun. You know, the power, the fire of his divinity in us can burn out what is less perfect in us. Now, we're not talking about very serious sins, where we're definitely out of step with God in the church. We're talking about our general sinfulness. So we ask God for forgiveness, and receiving the Eucharist is part of that forgiveness, is part of that process of forgiveness. However, we should not be callous or cavalier even about so-called lesser sins or venial sins. And here's the reason why. I'm going to tell you a little story. Some years ago, there was a ship off the coast, I believe it was California, and the ship ran aground, and everyone wondered why, because the night was clear, there was no fog, and they searched and searched around for the reason. The captain of the ship said, well, I couldn't see the lighthouse. It wasn't clear enough. It wasn't bright enough. And so the ship ran aground. Well, they investigated the lighthouse, and what they found is that earlier that day, a maintenance man came in, and he he changed the light bulb in the lighthouse. Of course, it's a bulb that shines very brightly. But while he was changing it, he took the bulb out of the package, and a little piece, about a square inch big, stuck onto the light bulb. The maintenance man didn't know about it. Well, if you remember anything about light rays, they start from a source, and they expand, crescendo, get wider as they go further. So that little piece of packaging that got caught in the light bulb blocked out just a little square inch of the light from the light bulb. But way off in the distance the ship is coming in, that little black spot magnified. It magnified to the point where a good part of the light was blocked out. And so the ship couldn't see well enough and ran aground. Well, that's something like venial or lesser sins. They may be smaller, but like the light they can become larger and more lethal very easily and quickly. And so we want to focus on even the lesser sins, our imperfections. Let's face it. We are made in the image likeness of God. Our origin, our destiny is perfection, is to become more and more into the image likeness of God. We call that in the Eastern spirituality, theosis or divinization, which is a word perhaps even more familiar in the Western lung of the church, but it means basically the same thing, growing and becoming, evolving, transfiguring more and more into the image and likeness of God. And so why would we want even a small thing to get in the way of that? Small things can become big things. So understanding of sin 
is, of course, a prerequisite for motivating us to go to confession. And although it is challenging and sometimes frightening to go to confession, there is very good reason why we should and why we should embrace the sacrament and be very, very grateful for it. And we're going to talk about those reasons when we come back. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya of the Tabor Life Institute. I'm inviting you to an opportunity to be pierced by the sheer beauty of God's plan for your life, to make the connection between God, sex, and the meaning of life. As Father Loya invites you to hear renowned speaker and author Christopher West, Saturday, April 25th at St. Mary Immaculate Parish in Plainfield, Illinois. Original sin for all of us, for every human being on the planet, has disoriented our desires. We often find ourselves hungry for things that don't satisfy the ache, don't satisfy the need. Join Christopher Saturday, April 25th from 6.30 till 9.30 p.m. at St. Mary Immaculate Parish, 15629 South Route 59, Plainfield, Illinois. Limited seating. Register online to coreseminar.evenbright.com. Horror spelled C-O-R, bright spelled B-R-I-T-E. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we're moving through Lent, it'll be over before we know it. In fact, in the Eastern churches, that week known in the Latin Rite as Holy Week, or sometimes a part of it is called the Tritium. In the Eastern churches, it's simply called Holy Week, a week of the bridegroom. It is different than Lent. Lent does not spill over into Holy Week in the Eastern churches. Lent will end on the night before Palm Sunday. But in the Eastern churches, Holy Week becomes its own separate week. So there's still time to get to confession, and I highly urge you to do that for a number of reasons. First of all, as we said, it helps us to be reflective, and humanity needs to be much more reflective. But it does so much more than that. And to understand that, let's understand a little bit of history of confession. 
Now, we know confession as going to a priest, and that's part of what maybe deters people from going. A lot of people will say, well, I can't tell my sins to a priest, or why should I? I can just tell them to God. Well, in the early history of confession, back in the days of the early church, when people were baptized, when they embraced the faith, we're talking about the early Christians, early, early years of the church, it was just assumed that you did not sin again. You know, you converted, you embraced the faith, and you're going to live that. And indeed, people were very faithful. However, we have to remember there was, as there is today, persecutions of Christians. Remember the Romans feeding the Christians to the lions in the arenas. Well, sometimes for that, and maybe for a couple other things like, for instance, adultery, that was a major, major sin that still is. We just don't see it that way, unfortunately. For some of these things, a person would have been seen as apostatizing. In other words, they were breaking with the faith. They were putting themselves outside of the community by their action. It's what we might call today excommunication, but they excommunicated themselves, which is really what excommunication is. It's a person putting themselves outside the community by a deep harm that they do to the community. They do something that is very inconsistent with the community, and therefore they are not part of that community anymore. Yet baptism has an indelible mark. You can only be baptized once. So back in the early days, when someone committed these grave sins of apostasy, they later repented and wanted to re-enter the Christian community. So the Christian community had to scratch their head and figure out a way to do that, because they knew he could only be baptized once. And they thought to themselves, well, this person wants to come back in. They want to be reconciled. So how do we do that? We have to come up with some other, in a sense, second type of baptism. So what they did was they devised a process of reconciliation, of confession, of healing, whereby people would stand outside the church, symbolic of standing outside the community, and they would beg forgiveness from the worshipers entering the church, beg forgiveness as the worshipers entered because they could not. And eventually, after a time, they would be allowed into the back of the church, but they had to, again, beg for forgiveness. Then they were allowed into the church, but they had to stand and beg for forgiveness. And finally, they had to kneel in the church. And the final, final step was to come before the community and ask for their forgiveness and to be let back in. It was a long process of reconciliation. Sometimes it could even take years. You notice what they did. They had the sinner, the one who apostatized, who broke from the community by their sin, they had them make up, reconcile with the community, and of course, reconciling with God. Now, that's very significant because confession always has those two dimensions because sin does. Sin always harms the community. There's no such thing as a private sin. If we do something that hurts us individually, it hurts also the community because we are all part of a community. We are communal beings, especially in the Eucharist. And of course, sin offends God. So when it comes to reconciling, we have to reconcile on two levels, one with God and the other with the community whom we have harmed. As time went on, the church saw that people would do other sins, but yet they still wanted to keep being reconciled back with the church. So the church began to realize that the early process of confession was a bit too harsh for some of these other offenses. So they came up then with another solution. They thought to themselves, how can we make some kind of vehicle for a reconciliation, but not give undue embarrassment or hardship to the repentant sinner? 
They don't have to come in front of the community and beg forgiveness and make public what they did, but they still have to make up to the community. So the church came up with the solution. They realized that in the office of priesthood is the meeting point of heaven and earth, of the next life and this life, of God and humanity. And so they taught that a person could be reconciled again with God and the church by confessing not necessarily publicly to the whole community, but to the priest who would represent the community and would represent God. And that's how it evolved. Confession as we know it today will be go to a priest. It's actually not the right phrasing. We're not just going to the priest. We're going to the community and to God through the office of the priesthood. We're not going to the person of the priest. And so hopefully this little historical explanation can help encourage us to avail ourselves of confession, especially if we're hesitant to. Let's face it, it's not easy. But like we said at the beginning, those who confess best far surpass the rest. It's like everything else in life. The more you do it, the more familiar it becomes, the better it becomes. I mean, we always still take it very, very seriously. We're never casual about it. But the more often we do it, and we're not talking about being scrupulous or going overboard, we're just talking about a reasonable rhythm of confession. Again, it's just like going to see your dentist every six months, as they recommend, or the doctor, or making sure you check in with other experts that help you stay healthy on whatever level. Some people go to a spiritual director regularly, or even to a counselor, a psychologist, not because they're, they're all troubled or sick, but just to kind of fine-tune, to continue improving themselves. Well, it's the same thing with confession. Confession is a great way to continue to improve ourselves, as well as reconciling ourselves when we indeed have put ourselves in a way that has harmed the community, harmed their relationship between God and ourselves, and between the community and ourselves. In the Eastern churches, confession has a very strong emphasis on the action of Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the priest is there, but the traditional form of confession in the Eastern churches actually has the penitent in church. Now, no one else should be around, or at least no one within earshot, <laughs> of course, but they have them up by the icon screen, that magnificent decorated wall that separates the sanctuary from the nave. It's decorated with icons and has three sets of doors on it. The penitent comes before the icon of Christ, which is on the icon screen, faces that icon. The eastern priest stands perpendicular to that icon. He hears the confession of the penitent and offers words of healing, of reconciliation, not of condemnation. It's not about punishment or necessarily making up for things. There is a reconciling, but it has more to do with healing. He's acting more like a spiritual physician in that position. But in doing so, he's really acting on behalf of Christ, the divine physician, to help heal this person. Remember, healing is always body and soul. And so the critical word here is healing. The operant word is healing. And then the priest takes his stole, we would call it in the Eastern churches, the epitrachial, it's a Greek word. He takes that stole and he puts it on the head of the penitent, then puts his hand on top of that stole and then pronounces the words of absolution. Now, the reason for this is because the stole represents a couple things. It represents Christ and represents the church. So the idea is that the penitent is being received into and being forgiven by God and the church, not just the priest. Notice how, in a sense, the priest has somewhat of a passive role. It's active, 
but it's a little bit de-emphasized. He's there as a conduit for the church and for God, for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus Christ. So he puts his stole on the penitent's head and then puts his hand on top of the stole, or the epitrachial, which is on top of the penitent's head, and then he pronounces the words of absolution. Now, here's an example of some of the words of absolution in the Byzantine form of confession. This is what the priest says. The Lord God, through Nathan the prophet, forgave David his sin and the adulterous weeping at his feet, and Peter shedding bitter tears for his betrayal, and the publican and the prodigal son. May the same Lord and God, through me a sinner, forgive you all the sins of your life in this world and the world to come. And may he make you stand uncondemned at his awesome tribunal, for he is blessed forever and ever. Amen. You notice once again, the priest's words here says, may this same Lord and God, through me a sinner, forgive you all the sins of your life. So the priest, again, is emphasizing this conduit, this this somewhat passive role, and it means that he too is a sinner. In other words, he can't forgive Only God can forgive and the church can forgive, but it happens through the priesthood, not the person, the priest, the priesthood, the meaning point of heaven and earth. Now, there is a shorter form of absolution where the priest simply says, May Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his apostles the command to retain or forgive the sins of mankind, forgive you from all your sins, and I, his servant, though unworthy, forgive us all of you from all your sins, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Well, once again, it's that somewhat passive role. I say somewhat and qualifying that because it's not entirely passive, but it's the activeness is de-emphasized a little bit to make room for God to act, the Holy Spirit in the sacrament and Christ, a divine healer. Now, during the sacrament of confession, the Eastern churches, there is not the same emphasis as in Latin rite on the act of contrition. In other words, a penitent can say that, but the penitent does not have to say it. So they listen more so to the word to the priest, the kind of a spiritual guidance. And also penance is not as emphasized in the Eastern form of confession either, because the emphasis is not so much on making up or punishment or relieving of guilt as it is on healing. Now in saying that, this is not a criticism of the Western form. It's just different, a different emphasis. And that is the character of everything between East and West. A difference, not an essence, but a difference in emphasis and character, all of which being equal, venerable, and glorious. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.